name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. From the Gospel today. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. We shall be delivered to the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully treated, and spitted on, and they shall hand him over to death, and the third day he shall rise again. The key to understanding the gospel is, or what Luke is telling us in the gospel, is in Luke's commentary on these words. Luke tells us of the disciples that the disciples, quote, understood none of these things, and the saying was hidden from them. What, what didn't they understand? They certainly knew what it meant to be humiliated and killed. What they didn't understand was what being humiliated and killed had to do with Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to defeat Israel's enemies, the idolatrous Gentiles who were outside of God's covenant people. The Messiah certainly wouldn't allow himself to be defeated by his enemies. So how did this prophecy of suffering relate to what Jesus was, was doing in his, in his life? They didn't understand this. The disciples were given understanding six chapters later in St. Luke's Gospel. When the risen Christ appears to the disciples in the upper room, he, quote, opens their understanding they might comprehend the scriptures. And he says to them, quote, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory. Suffering comes before glory. The cross comes before the resurrection. The Messiah has to defeat the enemy through the cross. This is how we will vindicate Israel. And this is what the disciples didn't understand and came to understand later. We also lack understanding. We believe Jesus is the Messiah. But then we wonder why we have to go through all these trials and struggles and tribulations in our life. Isn't Jesus supposed to defeat our enemies? Surely he is not going to allow our enemies to defeat us. And we think this way even though we know that the New Testament tells us we must share the cross of Jesus. We must pick up our cross, and follow him. It is as though the cross is an, it's okay for us as an idea in our minds. But when it becomes something we are called to experience as a reality in our lives, we shy away from it. Then we understand none of these sayings is hidden from us. We won't understand what is happening in the Gospels, in our lives, and in the world 
unless we understand that the cross is a necessary pathway to resurrection and glory. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer, and it is necessary for us to suffer with him. Our collect and epistle today talk about the theological virtue of charity. The Greek word being translated in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape. When agape was translated from Greek into Latin, it became caritas, and then it came into English as charity. And this translation was retained by the English translators because it had, it had inherited this meaning as one of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And it is useful as a translation still because it helps us to distinguish between agape love and our ordinary uses of the word love. What we call love is often not agape. Often what we call love is mere sentimentality, warm feelings devoid of tangible actions that work for the good of others. Or our love is manipulation. I do something for you in order to get something back from you. Seldom does our natural love rise to the level of agape, of what St. Paul says in our epistle. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not rejoice iniquity, it seeks the truth. It, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The outstanding characteristic of agape is that it is willing to suffer for the good of the beloved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it is this agape love, love which suffers for the beloved, that the disciples didn't understand and that we often do not. We come to know and understand agape in two ways, generally. First, we receive God's love, God's agape, when we put our faith or trust in Jesus Christ. Faith or trust is how we receive the baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be properly understood as love. Romans 5.5 says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The second way we come to know and understand agape is through our vocation to participate in the cross of Jesus. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into a new mode of life. We live in Christ in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, we participate in his sufferings as we strive to resist temptation and remain faithful through trials. 
as we strive to obey the commandments and love and serve others for his sake. We are able to embrace the cross with Jesus in Christ because we have within ourselves through the Holy Spirit the very hope and promise of resurrection. We go up to Jerusalem with Jesus because we know that we will also rise with him. Lent starts this Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday. And many of us are thinking about what will we do for Lent. It will be helpful if we reframe that question. What disciplines will help us enter more fully into the cross of Jesus and enable us to love God, ourselves, and others with greater honesty and sincerity. Our colic warns us that all our doings without charity, without God's love, are worth nothing. We must guard against discipline without love. The measure of any discipline we embrace is how it helps us grow in love. For example, when we fast, we practice going without. If we learn greater self-control so things don't control us as much, we'll be able to attend to loving others more fully. That's how that discipline helps us to love. But if we go about uh, fasting just to do without something as a kind of religious activity that says, hey, I didn't do this. And instead of becoming self-controlled and love, we become prideful. That work is worth nothing. So what we do must be connected to our growth in love. But the opposite is also true. Love without tangible expression is mere sentimentality or even Gnosticism. We live as Christians in bodies, and we believe the body is essential to our lives and our bodies are being saved. And therefore, what we do in our bodies matter. Therefore, we must fast and pray and give alms. But we must do these things in Christ, in love. We can offer a few guidelines for Lent, a few ways to think about the season that's coming up. Uh, first, practice some form of bodily self-denial that deals with the thing that you are too attached to, that you practice to excess, your form of idolatry that you need to work on. Practice going without it. It's not a heroic contest to see how you can do there's an exercise of your muscles, practicing going without to become less attached to it. Practice that for a season. We should all practice some form of disconnection from TVs, phones, computers, gaming, and electronics. This is a means of excess for virtually every one of us. The particular modality may be different, but the theme is strikingly similar. 
And in place of that connectedness, practice stillness and silence. Take that time of connection and use it to practice being alone with yourself and God. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with silence because they're never in it. There's always something on, always some background noise. Practice that prayer of silence. Add some daily discipline of prayer and Bible reading. Establish some rhythm in your life of daily prayer. Do something good for someone else in the name of Christ each day. What you save by fasting and what you make available by giving up, then we give to others as an act of almsgiving and we give to others as, as an act of service. And as you pray and fast and give alms during Lent, ask yourself, or ask God, reveal to you what he wants you to know about yourself. How does God want you to grow? And as you fast and pray during the season, ask that question for the full season and spend the full season listening for an answer. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.